Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for listening to us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. I just want to give a congratulations to Jamal Adams uh, for tying Vince Wilfork with three career interceptions. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Three. Three. It's the magic number. I guess. Yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> that being said, you are tuned into the sports edition of the ODPH podcast, and we definitely want to interact with you. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in our social media accounts. We definitely like to be interactive with all everybody from the ODPH Society. Check out the T Public Store sale going on this week, too. So you definitely need to get some ODPH swag. New designs are up right now. Parlay points. New blogs dropping this week. All of that and so much more is at odphpodcast.com. And always remember to use the hashtag ODPHpod because, as we say, it is time to kick this podcast off, and we are talking the NFL if we're talking sports, and we have to recap the week that was with our locks and leaps picks of Week 10. So, Pad, take it away. Yeah, so I'll start with my lock. Uh, I chose the Buffalo Bills to defeat the New York football Jets because, hey, the Jets fucking suck. <laughs> and boy, did the Bills ever win uh, by a final score of 45-17. to 17. Josh Allen had 21-28 of 28 for 366 yards passing, two touchdowns, one interception. Mike, the greatest first-round quarterback of all, that wasn't picked of all time. The GOAT. The GOAT, White. 24 of 44 for 251 yards, no touchdowns, four interceptions. Where was this team last week? That is my only question. They came in with a purpose to remind everybody in the AFC that they are one of the elite teams going. And they did a great job of that. Yeah. Because they need to do what great teams always do, and that is beat lesser teams. Albeit, hanging 45 on them is maybe a little excessive, sure, but... They wanted to make sure that message was sent. Defense should play better. Well, it's true because the Bills were making normal Bills plays. Like, they didn't do anything that really stood out. I was like, oh, man, you know, like they're really establishing. They just played solid on both sides of the ball. They finally remembered to run, which is always key because, well, let's face it, they decided to take off from that against Jacksonville, and look what happened. Mm -hmm. So you definitely want to remind teams that you are balanced on both sides of the ball because that's how it works. And Josh Allen decided not to put the whole team on his shoulders and let the plays come to him. He was very patient. He was finding his open receivers. Stephon Diggs was getting the ball, which, I mean, compared to what was going on in Jacksonville, it was a day and night difference. This is something I was extremely happy to see because if we're talking the Bills going to the postseason, and let's face it, chances are more than likely that they will end up there. Oh, yeah. Well, barring some, like, catastrophic collapse, the likes of which the NFL has never seen. Right. Yeah. They should be there. These are those moments that they need to establish that they are an elite team. Because if you're going to be making a playoff run, you have to be elite. Sometimes you have a Cinderella story and somebody sneaks in there that shouldn't. Mm -hmm. But the Bills have been built for this. This is their time right now. They have to go and they have to win games like this. So, that being said, 
I thought they did a solid job on both sides. And they really shut down a Jets team that, well, let's face it, it's division, it's rivalry, but it's still the Jets. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, Mike White, who the hell do you think you are for saying that you should have been like a first-round draft pick after this performance? Yikes. I don't care if you threw 251 yards. You still threw four interceptions. And I, and I get it's against the Bills. Listen, the Bills' defense ain't exactly the steel curtain defense of the Steelers from back in the day. Bills' defense is pretty damn good, but still. You know, the only thing that concerns me for Buffalo, Buffalo is very good. You mm-hmm. know, Josh Allen, 366. Their receiving core is doing phenomenally right now. Diggs had 162 for one touchdown. Gabriel Davis, 105 with no touchdowns. You know, so they're doing firing on all cylinders. The only thing that concerns me is their run game. Sure. And in fact, I had Devin Singletary just because of injuries and everything else. You know, I needed a running back last week, uh, not this past week, but the week prior. You know, so I pay, you know, Devin Singletary was like the best option available in terms of projected points. Sure. You know, so then I was like, he didn't give me anything last week. You know, and then the, and then this past weekend, you know, I was like, you know what? I can't stick with this. I need a guy. So I ended up dropping him and picking up Brandon Bolden from the Patriots, which worked out for me. But I think the one thing Buffalo needs to work on is getting its run game going. Just because I'm looking at their schedule uh, on ESPN.com, and it features on there, if I can find where the hell, there's my mouse. Uh, You know, it features the high passer, high receiver, and high rusher. So uh, just in order from week one up to this week, uh, first week was Devin Singletary, 72 yards. Singletary again in week two, 82 yards. Uh, Moss in week three was 60 yards. Singletary was the high after that with 79. Allen was the high in week five with 59 Singletary was the high in week six with 27 yards. Allen was the high in week eight after your bye week uh, with 55 yards. Allen again in week nine with 50 yards. And then Singletary is your, was your leading receiver or rusher this week with 43 yards. You haven't had a rusher crack 100 yards all season, which not exactly like panic button, red alert, you know, the ship's going down, bail out the water. But like come playoff time, it might be a cause for concern because you can get away against teams with the Jets being one-dimensional. I don't think you can get away with it for a long run in the postseason. I agree with you. I said that in the preview show, and I, I fully agree with that statement, Pad. It's going to be the question that the Bills are going to have to address some way, somehow. Either you commit to the running game with the with the players you have, or you have to come up with something. And having Josh Allen being a lead rusher on your team is not exactly the good look nope. that you want to have. Singletary is a good running back. That's fine. But... He's not in every down back. No. That's the thing. He's supposed to be balancing off with Zach Moss. And now, granted, Moss has had injury issues. Sure. Sure. Get that. But then somebody else has got to step up. Breda could be that guy. I don't know. I mean, there was a really bad fumble that he did. But at the same time, this is an area that the Bills have been, I don't want to say ignoring, but they really haven't been paying a lot of attention to. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to be more committed to doing a run game if they want to really succeed because at those times when you need to take time off the clock, mm-hmm. you're going to have to run. Uh-huh. You're not going to do it with the franchise quarterback. You're going to have to do it with somebody else. Now, whether you try doing it with Singletary, I don't know if that's the best option because because sure. to me, he's better catching the swing passes to the outside. Mm-hmm. He's not a guy that runs through the middle every time. Like, sure, can he do it? Yeah, he can. Yeah. But when you got to get a hard three yards for a first down to ice a game, I don't know if he's that guy. Yeah. I want to say yes as a fan, but let me take that fandom out of this. 
looking at the team, they need more out of Zach Moss. Mm-hmm. But those injuries are coming back to haunt. So let's say he's only played eight games this year. Yeah, it's it's tough, but he's had those type that type of you know hindrance on his career. Yeah, it's not to say he's a bad running back, but we have to get more out of him because he's supposed to be the balance. He was supposed to be in that Frank Gore prototype. Sure. And I would love him to get Frank back at this age. I don't care. Like, I think if they could get him and he can come in and play, sure. He's a guy that could get those kind of yards. Sure. I mean, I think that's something you need to look at. If you if you don't think you're going to be able to get it done with Singletary Moss or Breda, there's got to be a free agent, you know, running back out there that you can bring in late in the season. They go, hey, listen, we just need a guy who can really crunch up some time, eat up some yards, and really burn the clock for us. Because I'm looking at their stats. Uh, for the season, Singletary has 80 attempts, which is tied for 35th, uh, 398 yards, which is good for 27th. And then he's only got two touchdowns, which is tied for 30th. He's averaging five yards a catch, which is good for 11th in the league, which is mm-hmm. gr- which is great, but, you know, it's a small sample size. You know, Zach Moss, uh, 72 attempts, good for 42nd in the league, uh, 260 yards, which is good for 47th in the league, four touchdowns, which is tied for 16th in the league, and then averaging 3.6 yards of carry, which is tied for 40th in the league. And then you've got Breda, who doesn't even register on the, you know, tied for whatever rankings. He's got seven attempts, 32 yards, and one touchdown. You know, and, and none of these guys have ever eclipsed a 1,000 yards in their career. Breda came, I think, closest in 2018 with the Niners. He uh, ran for 814 yards, you know, and only uh, three touchdowns. You know, Zach Moss, his career high is was last year because he's in his second year. You know, he, have, he ran 481 yards. Mm. And then Singletary's career high was uh, his rookie year in 2019 where he ran for 775. But I think it was also the same year you guys had Frank Gore or whatever the hell it yeah, was. Yeah, it was a, it was a counterpunch to it. Yeah, you know, so none of the, you, I think Buffalo needs to figure out what they're going to do. I think you're right. I think they're burying their heads in the sand a little bit that, like, things are hunky-dory because their pass game is working well and mm-hmm. the screen passes and whatever else. But come late in the season, come playoff time, you get against a good defense that has great secondary, great corners, great safeties. That shuts down your receiving core. You're going to need to lean on your running game a little bit, and I don't know if Buffalo can do that right now. At this point, no. And I think that that is going to be a make-or-break moment for them in the playoffs unless they somehow get one of those freak games sure. where somebody goes off. I sure. mean, it happens all the time. Sure, and it's and it's week 10. You know, There's plenty of time for Buffalo to change that. But as I'm looking at it right now, mm-hmm. I don't see it. No, and, and that's a fair statement, Pad. And as a fan, I agree with you. It's just one of those things that, for whatever reason, they just don't put it together there. And it, it puzzled me because Dabble, the offensive coordinator, loves to run. So I don't understand why we're not making that stride to make this a priority. Uh-huh. But looking at their schedule coming up, they're going to have to find a way to oh, run the yeah. ball because oh, yeah. now is the time where they're going to start hitting some very tough games. Yep. You got the schedule in front of you? I do. So their next game coming up this Sunday is against the Indianapolis Colts. After that, they've got the New Orleans Saints, the New England Patriots, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Carolina Panthers, New England Patriots again, Atlanta Falcons, and then the New York Jets to close out the year. So there is a tough three-game stretch at least with I, the Saints, Pats, so, yeah. and I'd even, Tampa. I'd even say four just because Indy ain't no slouch. They're not sexy, but they're no slouches. Oh, I agree. That's going to be a great game. And that is one that the Bills, I think, can win. But let's face it. We've said this time and time again. Indianapolis is the most boring team to watch in the league. Uh-huh. Because they don't win pretty. They just win. Yep. 
So we'll have to see what happens for Buffalo moving forward. But that is going to be a focal point for their season, that if they don't make a deep run in the playoffs for whatever reason, look at the running game. Mm-hmm. And as for the Jets, well. Thanks it, for showing up. You know, it was great. Um, stadium looked nice. Yeah. Nothing really to report there. No, I mean, the only thing I just don't get is Mike White. Why the hell are you saying the comments you're saying, which I, you know, oh, I should have been a, a first round overall draft pick and this and that. And you go out and do like, I get the Tom Brady chip on your shoulder. Like I'm all for it, but like at least have the numbers to back it up, my guy. Well, you know, the thing about the Jets is there's such low expectations because it's the Jets. Sure. That I think what he went in with, and I don't, I'm not mad at him about this because I thought this was actually pretty clever. For being in the New York media uh-huh. and obviously leading them to a win, yeah, you have a little swag, a little buzz behind sure. you. Run with the ball. Sure. Do something. Because, sure. you know what, if he was all humble and quiet, it would be forgotten in New York. That's we, true. We'd still be talking about the Giants. But for him to say something like that, he put pressure on himself. And it did not work in this situation. Yeah. You know, he put up an awful game. A lot of those interceptions were bad out of the four. I think there was only two that I believe were deflected, if if I remember right. But some of them were just straight on, just into the open. So if he's really going to be the guy and listen between everybody in the QB depth chart uh, for the Jets, he still has a shot. He's got to bounce back. There, but. I don't think there's any way there's a QB competition now. You you don't have a performance like that. He's going to have to light the world on fire the last couple of games before uh, Wilson comes back, if he comes back, you know, for there to be seriously be a quarterback competition. Because let's face it, Flacco's there, and Flacco, 3-3, three 47 yards, one touchdown in the game. You know, Flacco's there, but Flacco's there just in case something happens to White. Because yeah. let's face it. Flacco is a Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl winning quarterback. The fact that they're not starting him says a lot about where his placement is in the organization. That's not a slight against him. It's just the fact that you have a Super Bowl MVP and a Super Bowl winning quarterback on your roster and you're not starting him tells you where his priority is. You know, I I just think, you know, and if you want a good take on this, go dig up the clip on YouTube from uh, Get Up on ESPN with Rex Ryan and Mike Mike Greenberg where, you know, Rex Ryan got asked, of course, former head coach of the New York Jets, who's to blame for this? And and Rex goes, everybody. You know, everybody. you got a guy who's supposed to be the next guy, the future of the franchise, and Zach Wilson. He, you know, you don't give him anything around there to work with. And then you bring in this other guy, and all of a sudden there's going to be a QB competition, and now you have, you know, your your next guy go 0 for 4 with touchdowns and interceptions, and who the hell knows what's going on there. That whole team is just a, it's a mess, top to bottom. Uh-huh. Best thing they could do is sell the team to Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs> Dead serious about it. Dead ass serious. I, I want to say the defense is, like, second worst in the NFL. Or, no, no, the offense is the second worst in the entire NFL. Yeah, because there's nothing that scares you as a defensive coordinator when you see that lineup. No. Nothing. Corey Davis doesn't scare you. Everybody else I can't even name off the top of my head. I'm not go, even... Joe Namath scares me more than that team does. Exactly. So the Jets are going to be the Jets. Enough said about that. The Bills got a tough game next week. Yep. But let us get to 
your next game. Yeah, so that was my leap, and boy, this was a game. Uh, I chose the Seattle Seahawks to defeat the Green Bay Packers, and I was wrong. Uh, Green Bay won by the final score of 17-0. Aaron Rodgers went 23 of 37 for 292 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. Russell Wilson uh, went 20 for 40, went for 161 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. Also should note that in if I remember the stat from the broadcast right, and kudos to you know the the st- statisticians at ESP, uh, not ESPN, CBS for bringing this up during the game. Uh, in like 150 starts, or maybe it's 151 now, whatever it is, this is Russell Wilson's first shutout in his career. Yeah, there which was, is wild. There is so much going on with this game, and I know allegedly there was a lot of complaining about the refereeing in this game. I would believe it. Yeah, so. I I really didn't know what to expect from this game. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers coming off his very controversial week. Yeah. To put it mildly. Yeah. What were we going to get out of response from Mark Hamill himself? Yes. So we got what we were expecting, I think. I mean, both these teams are very, very good. Oh, yeah. But the fact that Seattle was shut out is the, sure. is the takeaway for me because – I did not expect that to happen. I didn't either, but I like what Romo brought up during the broadcast for what I saw because I didn't see the whole game. Mm-hmm. You know, but the one thing Romo brought up is that you know, yeah, Aaron's coming back and Aaron's still at a hundred percent is still at a hundred percent despite you know being off for a week. The thing with Russell is, and this isn't me making an excuse for Russell. I think what Romo brought up is valid. Russell's coming back from having a pin in his finger. And whenever you have a type of injury, no matter where it is on your body, if it involves you moving, you know, you're going to do, you're, you're just instinctually going to do what you can to avoid that injury. Like if you got a, if you uh, get a Charlie horse in your leg in the middle of the night, the next morning, you're not putting full weight on that leg, mm-hmm. you know, until you work it through, you know, the same with an arm. If your arm hurts to move a certain way, well, you're not going to move it that way. Yeah. Russell has clearly had to do some stuff with his finger because it's on his throwing hand. And, and it's trying to work back from that and try to get out of those habits he he developed while he was out with the injury. So it's going to be, a, you know, maybe a week or two before he gets back. You know, so I wasn't I was a little surprised, but not fully. No, definitely not. But at the same time, Russell Wilson has pulled off magic before. So true. so it's not so unheard of sure. for him to, you know, come back and really lead that team. But they just look so out of sync. And I understand, like I said, he's he's coming back, you know, from that injury. It just you could just tell it was something was not right, and they just did not have any bounce back for the Packers. Now, granted, sure. the Packers are at home, and you can say you know whatever you want. But something about them at Cold Lambeau, as hell. yeah, they're they're in their element. It's very tough to beat Green Bay at home. Uh huh. You can say whatever you will about it. You know, when you want to start talking about the refereeing, quote-unquote, as the allegedness is yeah, coming in. Yeah. Listen, games happen like that all the time. You know, it, it is what it is, but it could play a factor, sure. Like, oh, sure. I, like I said, I mean, last week, the taunting thing, I think, was going around the league, and I think that was definitely impacting everybody. But it, this is just one that, well, Aaron Rodgers and Lambeau took on a good team. He didn't put yeah. up, the you know, the great fantasy line, if you will. Yeah. But the thing about this is the Seahawks, and I, I know the record is now three and six, but they're still a good team. They could still make a run for a wild card sure. position, maybe because you know the NFC division still has the NFC least in it, so uh-huh. there's still a spot there. They still can bounce back from it, but for the Packers, I think this was a good sign because you noticed nobody was talking about the whole Rogers out the week prior yes. story. Yes, 
Everything shifted back to football. It couldn't have gone any better for him. So for the Packers, this was a big win. And for the Seahawks, you know, at this point, it's just one of those situations they're going to have to reassess. Sure. And obviously losing Russell Wilson for that time definitely hurt. Oh, yeah. Because they're a completely different team without him. So what are you going to do? You can see the the frustration was boiling over on that team, too, yeah. with DJ Metcalf getting thrown out as well. Shout out to D, uh, DK Metcalf pulling a Bobby Valentine and trying to come back in the game. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was awesome. Well, you know, sometimes you got to do something like that. And and I was dying laughing. Granted, it was something to spark, but when DK did that, I was like, all right, well. Yeah. So, well, what, what, else, what else could you do? Yeah, well, and it's good for the Packers. Aaron Jones got hurt in the game, but it's not going to be out. I forget what the injury is, but he's only going to be out maybe one to two weeks. Yeah. So, so, so that's lucky for them. They're definitely lucking out about that, but they're definitely in so in looking great to lock up that NFC North with ease right now. Three games up on Minnesota. But looking at the rest of their schedule pad, is the road to the Super Bowl going to be any easier for those Packers? I was say, we're going to pull up the old schedule here for the Green Bay Packers because, like you said, they're doing fairly well from the Salser 8-2 right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, their schedule right now is they have Minnesota Vikings uh, this coming weekend. After that is the L.A. Rams. Then they're on a bye week in week 13, and they close out the year against the Chicago Bears, Baltimore Ravens, Cleveland Browns, Minnesota Vikings again, and then closing out the year against the Detroit Lions. Not a not a tough or not an easy stretch until maybe the last game of the season. I'd say the last three games. Uh, Cleveland, who the hell knows? Minnesota again, who the hell knows? And listen, Detroit ain't going to go zero and eighteen this year, but they still have the chance to go zero and seventeen. Yeah, Detroit. I don't, I I don't even know where to go with them. But the Packers definitely got a good road to get to the playoffs, and then we'll see how deep they can run. They just got to watch out for that injury bug. And for Seattle, like I say, they could put some magic together, maybe sneak in that wild card. Yeah, they just, they just need a bit of help. They they do. But looking at that schedule, you think it's going to happen? Yeah, so they've got the Arizona Cardinals coming up this coming Sunday. Uh, after that, they have Washington. Then they've got San Francisco, Houston, the Rams, Chicago, Detroit, and Arizona to close out the year. So there, there's a couple of stretches in there, you know. They're they're going to beat. Well, they should beat Washington. They sh- they should beat Houston. They should beat Chicago. They should beat Detroit. So that's one, two. That's four. That's four wins, you know. And then they might be able to pull one off against San Francisco. You know, you never know. San Francisco divisional game Sunday night. You know, so if they're able to pull that off, you know, that's five wins. That'll bring them to uh, eight and six. And then that just leaves the uh, last two games against the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, which you never know what could happen. It's division uh-huh. games. Anything is possible. That's why I said well, with Russell Wilson back, that's why I say this team is a different team, and they're a very good team with him leading the helm. Yeah. Without him there, they're average. This is true. It's a day and night difference. But that being said, well, I kind of have to see what they have moving forward. Now let's get to my locks and leaps, and how about those Cowboys? Goddamn. You know, I had a feeling they were going to bounce back. I wasn't expecting this because, let's face it, they were facing Atlanta. And who is Atlanta? What is Atlanta? Well, Atlanta took an L in a big way this week. So Atlanta, Pat, Atlanta took an ass whooping. <laughs> break it down for us. Uh, Dallas absolutely handed Atlanta's asses to them, uh, winning by the final score of 43-3. to Dak Prescott, 24-31, 296 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. 
Matty Ice, uh, 9 of 21 for 117 yards, no touchdown, two interceptions. Uh, just some notes from the Dallas side of things. Tony Pollard was your leading rusher, 11 carries, 42 yards. C.D. Lamb, your leading receiver, six catches, 94 yards, two touchdowns. You know, and a shout-out to uh, the Dallas Cowboys for at one point having the score 28-3. I, I always appreciate that. Oh, my God, that was hysterical. And, and the uh, shout-out to the Atlanta Falcons uh, social media manager who tweeted out, yeah, yeah, we know. <sighs> Atlanta, one of these days, you'll get it right. Today, not your day. Nope. Not your day at all because Dallas came in with a plan and obviously really wanted to make a statement win. Uh-huh. And damn, did they do that. Dak looked great. I mean, Atlanta, like we say, all kidding aside, has the potential to hang with anybody. They do have a decent team. Uh, I don't know about that. What do you think? I don't think right now because Calvin Ridley didn't even play for Atlanta. So they, their leading receiver was Kyle Pitts, their rookie tight end, who had four catches, 60 yards. After that, you know, all right, just so coach doesn't scream at me, I scream at me. I know they've got Wayne Gallman on their team. You know, and Cordell mm-hmm. Patterson's on that team as well. He had one catch, 14 yards. Wayne Gallman had one catch, 21 yards. You know, but neither of those guys is screaming like, yo, fantasy pickup with all the injuries going on right now like Cordell Patterson's great at fucking returns don't get me wrong you know but outside receiving no no but I say decent as in when you compare them to a Jacksonville when sure. you compare them to a Detroit sure Atlanta they're, they're is, marginally better than those two teams they're marginally but that's what I said decent not good decent so thus them being a team that could sneak a win in there here and there sure this is one that Atlanta did not want to take lightly, or Dallas wanted to take lightly, rather, yeah. excuse me. And they went in there and they applied their game plan. And this is what the Cowboys need to do if they're going to make a run. And this is one of those games that I'm telling you, they're looking better each week when they win because it looks like they're fine tuning where they come off from a loss. Sure. Like that's the one thing that you're seeing those adjustments from week to week. Now, sure. granted, they've only lost two games, but still. You're seeing them bounce back in a strong way. Sure. So I mean, it's a good law for Dallas. Don't get me wrong, but am I ready to say, oh, they're back? They're uh, firing on all cylinders. Not quite yet. I think so, but you know, I can't look say them beating Atlanta by such fucking marginal digits. You know, is you know cause to for them to come back because let's face it, the only team in the NFC East that the Atlanta Falcons have beaten this year is Washington. You know, mm-hmm. they've they've lost to Philly. Uh, they've lost to Philly, uh, or no, the only team they beat was the Giants, excuse me. They've lost to Philly, they've lost to Washington. You know, their other wins are against the Jets, the Dolphins, and the Saints. You know, I, I, the Atlanta's bad. You know, they're, they're marginally better than Detroit and Jacksonville. Not by much, but this is a team that Dallas should have beaten. You know, the test for me to, to say whether they're not or, ba- or not, back or not, is this coming week when they're playing the Kansas City Chiefs? Mm-hmm. That is, and then the week after that, they've got the Raiders. Those are the two games where I'm going to sit there and go, all right, now I'm not expecting them to go out and hang 45 on the on the Chiefs or the Raiders, but if they're able to win by two two and a half scores, then I'll sit there and say, okay, Dallas is back. Well, that's the one question you got to watch with this team. But I'm just saying, from what I saw there, they did what they should have done. Atlanta, like we say, is serviceable. Yeah, decent, however you want to define it, there's still a team that could have given them a lot of problems. Dallas did what Dallas needed to do, and that was win, and they wanted to put a statement win on, especially coming off such a bad loss the week prior. 
That is something that these teams really need to focus on and lock in because if you get very comfortable with what you're doing, and obviously losing to Denver as bad as they did at home last week, yeah, they needed something to really say, hey, that was a fluke. I mean, hey, listen, every cowboy has issues with a buck and bronco every now and then. Yeah. Oh, well played, Pat. Thank well played. You. But for this game, I thought Atlanta was Atlanta, and Dallas did what they should have done. And this is something that if you're a Cowboys fan, you got to be ecstatic about. Not only was it a blowout win, but it's good momentum going into a huge game with Kansas City, like you touched upon. Uh-huh. That's going to be a make-or-break one because it's Kansas City. They do have – they're very similar in, in the aspect, except you know, Trayvon Diggs does not play for Kansas City. This is true. That's the big you know difference in them. But I see a lot of similarities on offense, maybe except Dallas has a better running game right now. Yeah. This is going to be a good benchmark against them. So if they're really contenders, we'll see it out of here. You know that that's just what I say. Don't be wrong. The Dallas win against Atlanta is good, mm-hmm. but I'm not ready to set, do the litmus test and go, "Yep, yeah, they're back." Like you should beat Atlanta. You should beat Atlanta by multiple scores. Mm-hmm. That's to be expected. You you met expectations. My expectation now is let's see what you do against Kansas City because that to me is the litmus test as to whether you're back or not. Well, you know what? I I agree with you about that, but what I'm looking at is I'm going, okay, Atlanta and Denver are very close on playing level. Yeah. So if they did not come back and have a strong game, much like the Bills did against the Jets after taking a horrible loss to Jacksonville, if you're claiming to be an elite team and you're going to be one that goes to the playoffs, you need to bounce back with a strong win after such an embarrassing loss. This was what Dallas needed to do. So I got no issues with this. Like I said, it was a good win for him against a decent team. Yeah. Not great, but decent. Yeah. But we kind of go from there. Yeah. Uh, and so for the rest of the Dallas schedule, I mentioned they got Kansas City and then the Raiders the next two weeks. After that, they've got the Saints, Washington, Giants, Washington again, Cardinals, and then Eagles to close out the year. Yeah. So, I mean, Dallas can put together a lot of wins yeah. here. I mean, I only think it Washington, was... they should be. New York, they should be. Sorry, coach. No, uh, that's facts. Washington, they should beat. Uh, Philly, they should be the only the only interesting ones, uh, you know, outside of the Kansas City and then Vegas game is New Orleans could be interesting, uh, and then the Arizona game. The Arizona game is going to be tricky because it all depends on playoff seating. Uh, this is true because if Arizona could lock it up by then, I'm not going to say they're going to get an easy win, but I'll just say it'll be a lot easier to get to the playoffs yeah. that way. And then for the Falcons, I'm not going to read the rest of the schedule. All you need to know is this coming Thursday they're playing the Patriots. Let's talk about those Patriots, shall we? And oh, by the way, it's in Atlanta. Great segue, too. Thank you. I took Cleveland as my leap because I thought with Odell Beckham Jr. gone, and just to briefly say, the Rams I don't think upgraded by getting him, in my opinion. Sure, I'm sorry. If you have a wide receiver that's spending more time on Instagram making fun of your quarterback instead of focusing on your team, that is a bad sign. Boy, does that sound familiar. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about Odell. Yeah, I know. It's 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 such an echo factor yeah. that the Rams, well, good luck. You're going to need it. Uh-huh. I don't know how this is all going to play out when the smoke is all you know cleared. But for the Patriots, I think they dodged a bullet by not signing him. Absolutely. I listen, one of the factors, you know, with Odell back and where he junior where he wanted to go is he wanted to go to a team, you know, that was gonna make the he knew was gonna make the playoffs. And then had an established quarterback. Listen, Patriots could make the playoffs. Is Mac Jones established yet? No. Do I want you know the the obnoxiousness and just the circus that comes with Odell Beckham Jr. near Mac Jones in his rookie year when he's still developing? 
fuck no. Yeah. Were Tom Brady still at the helm in New England? I'd say, fuck yeah, let's bring in Odell. I'm good to go. Like, let's do it. Bring it on. You know, but Tom's not there. Mac is there. He is still developing. He's still learning. I don't want anyone like that near Mac Jones at all. Yeah, because I think Belichick and company know he would have been a problem. Oh yeah, like I, I, they've had they've handled a lot of quote unquote problem players before. Oh sure, and everyone likes to bring up Randy Moss, and yeah, Randy Moss did work out well. But let's not forget there was also Brandon Cooks, Eric Decker. You know the the list just goes on and on of guys who were supposed to be good receivers. You know Mohamed Sanu Senior. You know guys they brought in. They're like, oh, this is supposed to be a great receiver, and then just never worked out. Yeah, it's just the Patriots are very tough, but they have that high standards that they want to play by. And I thought with Cleveland, they're going to get a little extra motivation. Albeit, though, Nick Chubb did not play this week. Nope. But still, Cleveland, ah, you let me down. Pad, I'll let you do the honors for this one. Yeah, so New England won by the final score of uh, 45-7. to Mac Jones, 19-23 of for 198 yards passing, three touchdowns, no interceptions, had a quarterback rating of 142.1. Jeez. Uh, Case Keenum, uh, uh, 8 of 12 for 81 yards, no touchdowns or interceptions. All uh, He came in because Baker Mayfield left the game injured. Uh, Baker went 11 of 21 for 73 yards, uh, one touchdown, and one interception. The Browns fell apart after the second series. Facts. I mean, they hung in there, and it's a very weird thing because if you, if you play the Patriots and you watch the Patriots, they do one thing exceptionally well. And I relate this, and I'm going to kind of use a MMA term for this. Sure. They go into games like Anderson Silva did for fights. Mm. They sit there those first couple series and see what you are trying to do on offense. And Belichick makes the quickest adjustments I think I've seen with a coach. Yep. And I know his second half adjustments are second to none. That's oh, like absolutely. The stuff, absolutely. the stuff that he's questioning, then he makes a call yes or no, and he does them in the, in the second half. They took the Browns' best punch because they were driving down the field early in that game. Oh, yeah. And I know when they scored out of that quick seven, I thought Cleveland might be in this. Oh, I did too, especially after that first score. Yeah, because without Nick Chubb in that lineup, I wasn't sure how they were going to be doing a ground game. Sure. But they did seem like they were moving the ball. However, though, we get to that second hat or second series, Yep. and the Patriots just shut them down. Uh-huh. And it was scary of how much Belichick saw what they were doing with Dernis Johnson and just said, nope, we're locking this down. And they did an exceptional job of doing that because I believe like during that first series, he had something almost like, I know he had 99 yards total. Yeah, it was like a 99-yard drive. Yeah, but he that was the good majority of his yards were in that first drive. Yeah. After that, they shut him down. Yep. And the team just did not bounce back. Like, uh, there's a lot of, in my opinion, the play calling a little yeah. suspect yeah. by the Browns. I didn't think they called a good game moving forward because I think the Patriots threw them too many looks that they were not ready for. Oh, I think so, too. And I got to give credit to the Patriots' offensive line. Miles Garrett going up against Mac Jones when our offensive line has been suspect at best all year. The fact that they held uh, Miles Garrett to one sack on the day is fucking phenomenal. Mm -hmm. You know, I got to give credit to the run game. You know, uh, Ramdre Stevenson, 20 carries, 100 yards, two touchdowns. Have a goddamn game, why don't you? Yeah. Kendrick Bourne played phenomenally, four catches, 98 yards, one touchdown, including that beautiful floater Mac threw him in the second quarter, I think it was. That was fucking beautiful. Hey, shout out Jacoby Myers, QB1. Yeah. Finally made it into the end zone, first time in his NFL career. 
And that's one of the things I got to bring up, you know, the Jacoby Myers. Go back and watch the highlight. He runs into that end zone and gets that first score, you know, in his NFL career. And that's one of the things I like about the team and I love to see with the team. The entire fucking team ran down the field and celebrated with him in the end zone. Yeah. Which I think just speaks to how close and how tight-knit these guys are. Because, obviously, the entire offense would have come down there. You know, because Hoyer, the backup was in at that point. Brian Hoyer is the one who threw him to the touchdown pass. Mac Jones and the rest of the team were down there celebrating with Jacoby Myers in the end zone. I absolutely fucking loved it. Well, the one thing about the Patriots is it's a different culture there. Sure. And I think that they understand and they celebrate. Like, they are a team. That's And like I say, love them or hate them. They do run their organization very well. Yeah. And you could definitely see that because they were just like a fine running machine. Oh, yeah. The little bumps in the start of the season, but now they're kind of like, all right, we're getting this all figured out. Well, I think what helps is the emergence of Mac Jones. Uh-huh. What you got to say, Mac Jones, highest QB rating in the NFL this week. And bar none. Because and he's a rookie. And it's scary how much he's adapted. Like, And, and I'm going to say right now, if he keeps playing like this, that Alabama curse is broke. Uh-huh. Because he is just showing that he is on a different level right now. He is progressing. Which is shocking for his rookie year. Oh, yeah. For a rookie year, yeah. I mean, I honestly wasn't thinking he was going to progress this fast. No. I figured if they gave him some time, he could. But when they threw him in, Belichick knows what he's doing. I mean, that's the one thing. you got to give the devil his due. He understands football better than anybody. So Max got 2,333 yards, which is good for 14th in the NFL. 13 touchdowns, which is tied for 17th. Only seven interceptions, which is tied for 17th, and a QBR of 51.1. Yeah, that's a ridiculous stat line. But when Mac is clicking like he is, the rest of the team is feeding off it. And I think that that is something that as a rookie, he's winning people over. Uh, he's absolutely winning people over. And there's somebody in the NFL calling people out for uh, not being on the believe wagon a little sooner. That is one Tyron Honey Badger Matthew who took to Twitter uh, today and said, quote, Mac Jones wasn't trendy enough for y'all at first, huh? Now y'all love him. Man, y'all funny. Day in and day out. Y'all should be on Comedy Central. He's not wrong. The one thing that we all were waiting to see is when you see a, a quarterback class like the one we just had for the NFL draft, Yeah, it's very funny in the sense of when you start watching these guys play. Yep where you listen to their pre-draft positions and, oh, everybody's you know, thinking X, Y, and Z, and then it's like, yeah, I just got him on the game field and go. How they everybody is just writing off Mac Jones at the beginning of the year? And I understand why, if you want to buy into the whole Alabama curse thing. Sure. But you also have to look at where he is going and what's his expectations. Is he supposed to light up the stat line? No. No. He's just supposed to win. Belichick and McDaniels have played perfectly – of how his abilities to transfer on the field. Yeah. He's not asked to go get into shootouts with games. No. Could he? I mean, we saw with that Dallas game, he can definitely hang in oh, there. Oh, yeah. He's he's not a guy like an Aaron Rodgers who's lethal from, like, all, all sides of the field. No. You know, he's not a guy like Tom Brady who could just drop a diamond anywhere on the field and, and put it in the only place where the receiver can catch it. But he's shown at Alabama, and now he's showing here in, in New England – that he's a great quarterback. He's a very good quarterback, and if you put the right pieces around him, he can flourish beautifully. Yeah, and this is something that is going to scare a lot of teams in the AFC. I know me as a Bills fan. Uh huh. I'm definitely been keeping my eyes on the keeping Patriots. That throne warm. Well, you know what? This was going to be the time for Buffalo, and everybody was writing him off. The Patriots are bouncing back quicker than expected. Uh huh. And that was something that we weren't sure how fast they were going to do, but now. 
they're in that wild card position. Talk, they're only oh, yeah. a game, you know came back from the Bills. It's not to say they couldn't sneak in there and win the AFC East. It really isn't. Wild things could happen. It it definitely is because if you look at their schedule, it, they could sneak in there with especially two games coming up against Buffalo. Yeah, depending on how they go. Oh, that that game is going to be a great litmus test for how good the Patriots are. It's mm-hmm. also going to mean a lot for where the AFC is going to uh, an AFC East is going to end up. Yeah, so the Patriots scheduled to close out the year. I mentioned they've got it. Well, they're down in Atlanta uh, for Thursday night football this week. Boy, I wonder how the reception there is going to be because <sighs> uh, they, to my recollection, have not been there since that Super Bowl. No, they have not. Uh, then you've got the Tennessee Titans the week after Buffalo on Monday night football. Uh, week 13 our bye week finally in week 14 and then close out the year we've got the indianapolis colts buffalo bills jacksonville jaguars and miami (coughs) well i mean there are some games that are going to give you more trouble than i think yeah people are giving credit for it the indianapolis like we say that is going to be one that i think is going to be a real challenge jacksonville that should be easy for you miami late though and it's in miami yeah that's always been the patriots curse don't put any of our tight ends in drop coverage if it's a freaking end of a game Hail Mary. Yeah. Saw how that went once. No, mm. thank you. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see Jonu Smith or Hunter Henry d- deep coverage. No. No, they definitely shouldn't. But for the Patriots, there's a lot of upsides from this game, and especially for the Browns, who yours truly was saying was going to go to the Super Bowl, are falling apart very quickly. Well, so, yeah, they've gone from, like, top of the division to now they're in last place with a record of 5-5. Five and five. Yeah, but – it all kind of goes back a little bit to the coaching and a little bit to injuries. Also, it goes back to nobody in that division wants first place. Well, that division, yeah, they're all just bruising each, each other. Which is normal. Yeah, I mean, that's just something that that division is the black and blue division because they all they do is just play physical games. Mm-hmm. And no game is easy between any of the three other teams if you're a team in there. And unfortunately for Cleveland, I don't think you're going to make the playoffs. You know, the, play, the standing in the, where they are in the standings notwithstanding, you know, you've got Detroit, their next game. They go into Baltimore week 12, bye week in week 13. And then to close out the year, they're at home against Baltimore, at home against the Raiders, up to Green Bay on Christmas Day, mm. uh, out to Pittsburgh on uh, the second to last week, and then they close out the year at home against Cincinnati. It's not an easy road. No. But unless they make some changes quick and you got to get better play from Baker, I mean, pending his health issues, yes. you got to get better play out of him. If he's not going to do it you're stuck and there's no easy way to put it this team is built to win now they're faltering i feel a lot has to go in my opinion on the coaching staff they're not prepared and you saw that belichick tore their coach apart because it, this should have been a chess game oh yeah it literally should have oh yeah patriots took two series to figure out what they were doing and they had no comeback no I, I i know a guy who's a cleveland browns fan and he jokingly said to me on Sunday, oh, Miles Garrett's going to eat Mac Jones alive. And I'm like, I hope not. I want my quarterback. I don't want him hurt. Yeah. And then he really didn't. No, that was the whole thing. Belichick and company shut him down. They do what all great teams do. And for the Browns, good luck. You guys got to start figuring You're some questions out. need it. Very, very quick. So let's take a quick roundup of the league before we close the segment out. Uh, Thursday night, a fluke happened. Yeah. Miami defeated Baltimore 22-10. to We'll say the underdogs winning held uh, held out until the Thursday night game. Ugh. I I was in shock about that. Yeah. And for everybody writing off Baltimore, listen, it's a bad game. It's not a start of a streak. We'll see how much they bounce back this week. Trust me on that. I was hearing some uh, crazy things online that people were saying, like, bench Lamar Jackson. 
I was like, what? Yeah, no. After one game, no, stop. I don't want to hear that. Because if you do that, then you got to do that to Tom Brady, who took an L to the Washington football team. Yeah. Who took a bigger L because Chase Young is out the season. Uh, t- tough break for him. You know, uh, wish him very well in a speedy recovery. Absolutely. Tennessee snuck one out against New Orleans yep. after a failed two-point conversion. So Tennessee snuck away 23-21. to Indianapolis won the battle of, well, something against Jacksonville, 23-17. to We have a tie in football, folks. They yeah, do happen. Yeah. Contrary to popular belief, Pittsburgh and Detroit. Contrary to what Najee Harris knew. Yeah. Folks, that's a fact. Najee Harris didn't know you could tie in the NFL. I feel like there's one of the, at least one of these every year where somebody goes, I didn't know you could tie. Yeah, I know. It's it's Ties a, happen at least once a year. It's a wild stat. I wish they would get rid of it, to be honest with you. See, but then they'd have to do something like the college football playoff or uh, overtime thing, and I hate that. Yeah, I, I understand that, but there's got to be something. I just I hate ties. Like it's just, yeah, you know they got to do something. So nothing really said there except hey Detroit, no chance that you go in zero and seventeen. But you can still go zero and sixteen. Yes, but and one. Yeah. Minnesota defeated the most unpredictable team in all of the NFL, the Los Angeles Chargers, twenty-seven to twenty. Cam. Cam, Cam. I'm back. Came back to Carolina with a vengeance, 34-10, to 10, albeit Arizona decided to sit some uh, Kyler Murray this week. Yep. So they're doing it for, you know, thinking playoffs runs. And I was talking to a couple Cardinals fans online and in person too, and they were just saying, look, the people that were screaming to fire Kingsbury and why did we sit Murray, they don't see the big picture. This is their second loss of the year. Yep. The sky is not falling that bad, folks. Nope. Relax. Relax. Philly defeated Denver 30 to uh 13. Yeah. Kansas City uh claiming that some people are claiming they're back. I don't know, but they won 41 to 14 over the Las Vegas Raiders. And San Francisco gave a nice warm welcome to Odell Beckham Jr. and those Los Angeles Rams 31 to 10. A lot of interesting action this week in the NFL. We gave you our recap. Now we want to hear yours. Hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts of week 10 of the NFL? We definitely want to know. But we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Have you ever found yourself confused about the current state of the MCU or whatever the hell is happening with the DC universe? Do you often have no idea what the hell the difference is between craft beer and that butt ice stuff at the gas station? Well, then look no further. We present to you Hops Geek News. We're yet another geek and beer podcast in an already oversaturated market. All right, all right. We drink and we pretend we know things. More often than not, we don't really know things, but we do talk some really great topics and we most definitely can drink. We'll deliver you news and then dive into any random topic you might have never knew you actually were passionate about. With lots of fun facts about beer. And from Marvel to DC and Star Wars, and to why Die Hard is most definitely a Christmas movie. Which it is. Basically anything that our spouses are sick of hearing us talk about. Join us on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes weekly. Just search Hops News. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast and time to talk some wrestling. Wrestling. So this past weekend was AEW Full Gear, live from the Target Center in Minneapolis. This was a fun show to call. I will say this, Pat. I know that you do not follow AEW as well as I do. You're not too sold on the product, but I will tell you this straight up, and I have not been paid to say this either. 
This was probably the best pay-per-view they've done. The hell's that AEW check doing on your table? Shh, they don't need to know on air. But in all honesty, this was arguably their best show they've done. And if you're not into AEW wrestling, I would recommend checking this show out. We did mm-hmm. the live reactions on twitch.tv slash 6SM podcast. Uh, myself, Rich from 3FN, Lincoln was there, Dog was there. Nice. It was a good crowd. Uh, the only thing that was uh, wrong, though, was the BR live stream. Uh, the audio was not synced up with the video. Oh, that's par for the course. Off about 20 seconds hey, of the entire show. Hey. It, was, it was not good. I can deal with a little bit, but you're that far away. Yeah, that, that, that was our personal experience Yikes. with it. So I'm hoping next time they run it on fight.tv. Because the last time we watched All Out, it ran a ton smoother. But Shit, set up HBO Max for fucking live streaming. Running on HBO Max. It, it was very tough. Like, I'm just saying that this was our experience with it. So uh, there was a lot of fans that felt the same way, too, that if you go through the Twitter th- feeds, they've been voicing their dis- uh, pleasure about the stream. But once you got down to the actual matches, there's a lot to discuss and a lot to talk about. So let's break it down. Uh, yeah, so your first match took place on the pre-show. This was a uh, women's tag team matchup between Hikaru Shida, Thunder Rosa, taking on Jamie Hayter and Nyla Rose. Uh, and you had the aforementioned Hikaru Shida and Thunder Rosa emerge, emerge victorious, pinning their opponents in 8 minutes and 42 seconds. Solid opener. Nothing really crazy to write home about. Just something uh, to get the crowd going. It was something to get the crowd going, but it was also tying into the TBS uh, championship, their uh, ah. second women's title, because I believe I, I know Sheeta and Nyla are facing each other in the tourney. Sure. I can't remember the top of my head if Rosa and Hater is. That would make sense if they are. But it, well, it kind of ties because they're finally coming back to a storyline that I have been waiting on, and that is Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker. Oh, okay. Because. Way back when, on arguably a match of the year candidate, Thunder Rosa defeated Britt Baker in a St. Patrick's Day street fight. So that was back in March. Yes, and that was arguably the one of the best matches of the year, bar none. Maybe it was AEW's best match to date. This brought it all, but then when Rosa fully signed with AEW, they never ran back the program. Right. Now they're kind of tiptoeing around it a little bit, so I think this is going to be the start because Hater is the big muscle for Britt Baker. Sure. So maybe this is going to be the way to get started. So if it maybe. does, I'm all right because Rosa should get the title. Just maybe. Saying. Maybe. Uh, so your next up was your first match on the main card, and that was between Darby Allen and MJF, and you had MJF emerge victorious, pinning Darby in 22 minutes and 48 seconds. Great match. Really great match. Great heel work by MJF because – Maybe it's the time we don't see him wrestle enough. Sure. Do we forget how good he is? He definitely, definitely, from what I've seen on social media and Reddit and stuff, does seem to be more of a talker than a wrestler. Yeah, it just kind of happens. And I mean, I don't know if this is how they book him or whatever the case is, but he made Darby wrestle. And Darby did not take as many crazy bumps as he normally does. He sure. Did, he did take a couple on the apron. Um, I want to say he took a pile driver. Mm-hmm. Like he took a couple that were just like, Darby, please slow down, man. This worries me. And yeah. I know when he did his coffin drop from the top rope to the floor. That that kind of stuff worries me for him long term. But the match itself, great storytelling. Mm-hmm. And MJF won by nefarious means. He had the the infamous diamond ring in his trunks. Yeah. And when the referee was distracted, knocked out Darby with it. Ah. He'll way to win, but you know what? Dirty heel tactics. I'm okay with it. Like I was like, all right, this is actually a really solid match. If you're gonna win, win by shitty underhanded tactics. Don't like win straight up. Put your legs on the rope. 
you know, get that, uh, pull the tights, whatever you got to do. You're a heel. Yeah, just the only thing I'm fearing is Sting had to come out and hold back Wardlow and uh, Sean Spears. Ah. Please, please, I don't, I, at this stage of the game, I don't want to see Sting wrestle, and I don't want to see him wrestle MJF. North of 60. Yeah, because I, I fear at this stage he's going to go over MJF, and I'm going to be like, oh, why, why? But nevertheless, great match to kick off the official card. Yeah, so your next matchup was for the AEW Tag Team Championships, and you had the team of Penta, Alzero, Meadow, uh, and Ray Phoenix uh, being the Lucha Bros, taking on the team of FTR, that being Cash, Wheeler, and Dax Harwood, uh, and you had the Lucha Bros emerge victorious, pinning the FTR in 18 minutes and 38 seconds. Another great match. Contrast the styles, obviously. Sure. Because Lucha Bros wrestle a very high-flying, fast-paced style, and FTR is very, like they always say, no flips, just fists. This is true. You know, they keep it very grounded. Very back and forth, though. And I was definitely impressed with everything going on here. They told a great story as well. And this reminds people of why tag team wrestling is such a staple for AEW. Because we got away from the storylines of involving the Young Bucks. Yeah. Finally, we have new champions. There is that sense that somebody could win. Albeit, though, Lucha's just got the belt. They don't like doing too many title changes that quickly. Sure. This one told a great story, and this one is definitely proving why these two are two of the top teams in the in the game right now. No, yeah, that's one of the great things with FTR is like they they do have the moniker "No Flips, Just Fists," but they seemingly work very well with the guys who do a lot of flips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they definitely played into it. Like I said, I wouldn't mind them seeing running back another time or again. This could be a fight forever for me. I'm, yeah. I'm that happy with it. Uh, next matchup was the final in the AEW tournament where the winner of this tournament would get a future shot at the AEW World Championship. Uh, and you had Brian Danielson taking on Miro. Uh, and you had Brian Danielson emerge victorious, uh, went, winning by submission in 20 minutes. Not surprising. No. I mean, once he, it was announced about who was going to get a title match at the end of this, all signs point to Danielson. He's been booked very strong since sure. he's been in AEW. So I could I, I didn't really think this one was anything super crazy. Albeit though, I thought it was a good match for Miro. Oh yeah, I well, thought he looked very good. The ending was a little off though. I think if Moxley were still in the matchup, it would have been a little bit more of a coin flip for folks, just because you don't know Moxley hasn't had the belt in quite a while. Uh, Danielson, he's new. Do they really want to give it to him this soon? You know, but with the situation surrounding uh, John Moxley, once you inserted Miro into the situation, it became like clear as crystal. All right, we know what they're gonna do. Yeah, and like I said, the ending was just a little too choppy for me. Like, it was just, like, it wasn't fluid. Sure. It just kind of felt like, wait, did this just happen? Sure. So, nevertheless, though, it got to where it needed to because Danielson just got his title shot. I mean, that's nothing you could really say. Nothing super shocking with this one, shall I say. Yeah. Uh, Next up was a six-man tag uh, team matchup with where falls count anywhere uh, between the, what are they, the Elite, the Click? The Super Click. The Super Click and Adam Cole. Baby. Uh, and Matt and Nick Jackson, a.k.a. the Young Bucks, taking on the team of Christian Cage and then Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Uh, and you had Christian Cage, Jungle Boy, and Luchasaurus emerge victorious, winning by pinfall in 22 minutes and 18 seconds. Great match. They went all over the arena. I'll say uh, the Young Bucks are involved. It's going to be a spot fest. It was, but the one thing, in, and I don't necessarily know if I can put my finger on it. Sure. They were into the match. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But it just seemed like they weren't as up to it as everybody else was, in my opinion. Mm. Like, Cole was definitely into it. Jurassic Express was definitely feeling it. Like, they were doing a lot more crazier moves. Obviously, they ran up on the stage, and I know they were definitely hitting, you know, a lot of cutters and, you know, such. Uh, This was just one of those brawls that just, it seemed like, 
one team was a little more amped up than the other. Maybe it was just a case of the Bucks had to pull back a little bit just because of their normal false count anywhere ladder, you know, ladder matches with like Lucha Bros or or even you know whatever other team you want to throw in there. They can normally go all out and batshit crazy with, mm-hmm. but I don't think they can necessarily do that with Christian Cage given his age or even Luchasaurus. You know, I don't think they quite are fit in that mold of like spot fast crazy moves off the ropes and off the ladder. So maybe it was just a case of them having to pull back a little bit and they really didn't know what to do. It could have been like, well, I just felt like that they were just, I hate so saying going through the motions because sure. I'm going to talk about that next match. Sure. I just felt like that they were being a little more safer about things and Maybe. not, and not for like, a, you know, for a big brawl yeah. falls everywhere, blah, yeah. blah, blah. I just don't think that they had that intensity. Like the Jurassic express team did. Sure. And I know the ending I, th- I personally thought was weird, but I know talking with rich from three FN about it, he did explain it a little better. And I can see it. Sure. Because the ending was they set up a concerto. Okay. But Jungle Boy got the chair from Christian to do it. Okay. And I was like, okay, I think this is odd. I don't necessarily like it. But as Rich and a few other people were pointing out, Jungle Boy has been the brunt of the attack from the Super Click. So this is him getting his revenge, which I'm like. That makes sense. I get it. I just thought it was, like, for me, it was just kind of odd. But That's storytelling. But it is. But like I said, I'm not mad about it. It wasn't like, oh, my God, what are you doing here? Yeah. I just felt like, okay, this is kind of an interesting way to end this. But it also seemed like the Jurassic Express team was definitely into it. I know Christian Cage did a New Jack-esque dive. Oh, my. Um, from one of the uh, state or seats areas. Oh my! I mean, yeah, it was. It, but like I said, he was definitely in his moment. Like they seem super amped up about this, so it, it just kind of resonated. And like I said, it wasn't like the Bucks mailed it in, but it just kind of seemed like they were taking it a little safer, right? If that makes sense. Yeah. So, nevertheless, it was still a great match, though. Note, there's a running theme here. Yeah. Uh, next up was a tag team matchup between Andrade El Idolo and Malachi Black taking on the team of Cody Rhodes and Pac. And you have the team of Cody Rhodes and Pac emerge victorious, winning via pinfall in 16 minutes and 55 seconds. There's no other way to put this. The AEW crowd has turned on Cody Rhodes, mm. and he's now starting to generate that X-Pac Vicky Guerrero heat. Yikes. I'm serious about this. He is just draining that crowd. They are not happy. In my opinion, they're not happy to see him. Sure. He took the energy out of the room. Huh. I wonder what happened. Well, I think it's just a lot of his recent promos and and storytelling is just, it's not winning the faithful over as much as it used to. Sure. And this is one of those times, like, when you see wrestlers, maybe it's time to turn them heel. It's time yeah. to freshen the character up. Yeah. It's, I think in his case, he's his refusal to turn heel because the crowd is dictating it. Because there, there's a lot of, you know, pay attention to me moments Yeah. on the show that I think fans are now picking up on. And it's something that we've always talked about on 607 TWS. Lander. Yeah. That ever since that Anthony Agogo promo, which was awful in my opinion, the crowd has slowly been turning on him mm-hmm. and how that angle was booked and how we've gone since. And then even when they brought in the Malachi Black uh, angle sure, and how after he was knocked out, he gave that post-fight speech a la UFC where he's knocked oh, yeah. out. Yeah. And, you know, he's like he started referencing about WWE and all that jazz. It just came off so bad that I think the faithful are now turning. 
I think what it might be for some people, and this is just me pulling, you know, what out of my butt. I think what some people might be afraid of is that they might be afraid of it's turning into a case of LOL Cena wins or Cena in the golden shovel. Where Could just, be. Where just they've seen that happen with Cena. They're starting to see some of the same fruit sprout up on the old bush. And they don't, they didn't like it then. They don't want to see it now. And they're just kind of like trying to head the train off before it comes to that pass. I mean, it might be because right now he's running an angle. And I can't remember if you started watching when this angle was happening with speaking of John Cena, the embrace the hate with Kane oh, trying to turn him. Yeah. He's doing that angle. Right. And it's coming off very badly. And at this stage, I mean, Cody needs to turn heel. There's no question about this. I mean, look at Roman. Roman, prior to his heel turn, was stale. It was a little boring. Mm -hmm. People didn't like him. Now he turned heel, and he's like the number one merch seller of all time. Well, I think for Cody's case, he needs to do it. And for whatever reason, he doesn't want to. You can definitely tell the temp in the room. Swallow pride, dude. And that body language he was giving off and Pac was giving off and Andrade was giving off, Sure. in my opinion, like they all seemed that they did not want to be involved in this match. Sure. Malachi was Malachi. Like there, it was standard what goes on with him. And I sure. think he's, he's definitely somebody that even if he didn't want to be in a match, he was still professional enough well, about it. Pac's always been a dude who marches to the beat of his own drum. Right. Same thing with Andrade. Yeah. And like I said, in my opinion, that's what I read in the room. I'm going, oh, man. These like, guys. That could have been the case. That could have been four guys who really didn't want to work together with each other and were forced to. Well, it's a situation I think that this match was thrown together on Rampage. Right. So or maybe it was Dynamite, actually. So only a couple days before. Sure. Well, if there's no storyline buildup, you're overshadowing everything else because they've been doing this angle with Pac versus Andrade, which has been great matches, albeit on Rampage, so not too many people are getting as much recognition of it. Mm -hmm. You now have Cody thrusting himself in this because he's technically was done with Malachi Black. Malachi is now teaming up with Andrade, which is kind of like how they're doing Andrade with his pairings right now is kind of interesting too. Yeah. Because at one case, he's now loosely connected with the pinnacle and he's paying FTR to do his dirty work. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a weird what's going on with him, but to see like how this is all get, getting put together. And I think what the body language reading to me, and like I said, this is just my opinion. Mm -hmm. I think Cody wanted to get himself on this show and just kind of thrusted himself in this match. Sure. And I think everybody else is like, why that's how it read to me. So I digress. But after this match, the it, everything just drained out yeah of the show which isn't good no it isn't good so we'll see what this unfolds moving forward but in my opinion the crowd just just was out of this and this was not one of the best matches between all four guys just saying mm. Next up, though. Uh, was for the AEW Women's Championship, and you had Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, uh, defending her belt against Ty Conti, and you had Dr. Britt Baker uh, retain her uh, title via pinfall, winning in 15 minutes and 30 seconds. I'm going to say this. Because of the Cody effect, uh -huh. the Roselander effect, the fans did not appreciate how good this match was. Which sucks. I'm going to say it right now. Ty Conti really impressed me. Sure. And I have not been a super big fan of like not that i say that she was bad but it wasn't oh, yeah. like going in this match i'm like okay you, you enjoyed her but you weren't fully sold yeah i'm not sold like that she i wasn't sure what we we're gonna give her in the spotlight like sure, this. sure sure she delivered she put on a, a solid performance i was not mad about this match and this match was better than i thought it was gonna be okay 
I'm not going to say it's five stars, but it was better than I thought it was going to be. Sure. The crowd, though, was so dead. That's the that's the shitty thing with going on after a match, which just sucked the air out of the room, because you practically have to have a barn burner tear the house down, one of the greatest matches of all time you've ever seen from any federation, to really get them back. Like, I can think of very few instances or remember very few instances where we had a match that we were watching that, like, just was a stinker from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Why the hell are we here? And then gave a shit about the match that came after all came on after that. Like it took maybe like a good match, match and a half before we were really invested back into that going on. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the kind of vibe and it sucks for these two ladies because they tore the house down. Like they did as much as they could with the time they were given. Sure. And this was a very solid match. And I said, this is better than I thought it was going to be. And it's a shame that the crowd just did not vibe into it. Right. But uh, like I said, the Rhodeslander effect is real. So, unfortunately, this did not get as much shine as everything else should have for this match. But still, if you watch the replay, just kind of skip past the Cody match yeah, and go to this and just turn the sound off and just enjoy it for what it is because it's a, it's a solid match. Next up, though. Uh, was between CM Punk and Eddie Kingston, and you had CM Punk emerge victorious, pinning Eddie in 11 minutes, 11 seconds. Shout out to Crimson Brethren. Yes. This match was CM Punk's best match he's had since he's been in AEW. That's a short list. We talked about this on 607 TWS, and I got to just definitely credit Rich about this, too. Eddie Kingston made him work. Sure. And this is the first time that I think Punk has been motivated. Oh, okay. Because I think since he's been in AEW, he's been on that honeymoon phase where it's like, hey, I'm back. I love wrestling again. Yeah, wrestling. Remember me? Remember how much you missed me? Yep, I'm going to go on and and face some of your lower tier guys on the card. Yay, I'm going to put them over. Yay. You know, like, just the happy-go-lucky CM Punk is not the CM Punk we want to see. Like Ronda Rousey showed up in WWE that she was all smiling. Hey, how you doing? Hey, like, no, you should be coming in kicking asses and leaving. Yeah. What Punk came in, and I'll be at seven years laid off, we weren't sure what we were going to get out of him. Sure. I was hoping we were going to get this Punk earlier because they had an amazing promo segment on Rampage a week prior. Mm-hmm. And if you're not sold on Eddie Kingston being the heart and soul of AEW, get your pulse checked. Sure. He is what Tommy Dreamer was to ECW. He is a guy that bleeds that company and a lot of what he said in that promo and i recommend going on youtube and checking that out because i think they uploaded the whole thing to youtube uh, if i saw correctly they the promo they might have yeah the promo eddie held nothing back and, and he he never does like he's always sure. a guy that like listen he pours his emotions into it i think there's a lot of truth to what he was saying maybe not directly but there's enough that i could see it ha- fully being what he's saying he made Punk work. In fact, he hit him with a spinning back fist the, the beginning match of the night. I really thought he connected on him. Yeah, boy. Because I think he was I think he was seriously like, I'm going to make you work because sure. you haven't. You've been sure. milking a paycheck. They had a great match going back and forth. But I got to give credit to Rich about this because I think he put this very, very well. Punk had three minutes of straight offense to finish the match. Wow. He went over super strong to end that match. Oh, and good I, for him. It, which is, it, it's good, but it was like, uh, I didn't, I, and I agree with Rich about it because I didn't like it because it was like, Punk went over real strong. 
Sure. Like it was it was almost like a slap in Eddie's face, in my opinion. But after the match, though, Punk tried doing the respect thing, shake his hand, and Eddie just blew him off, which I was like, I love that. Oh, because, yeah, that's Eddie. Well, yeah, because you know what? I think it's what they needed to do. And if they want to continue the storyline, sure. I just hope they don't have it finished the same way because I thought for putting Punk over that strong definitely hurt. Mm. Now, I mean, it's not going to hurt Eddie long term. I think fans are already kind of over it. But I don't want to see that happen again. Because I think that if you allow that to happen to your heart and soul of your company, that's going to kind of snowball. Yeah, it might. And that's what I worry about moving forward. But we'll have to see what CM Punk lands after this. Next up. Uh, This was the co-main event of the evening. This was a 10-person tag match in a street fight where you had uh, the inner circle, so that being Chris Jericho, Jack Hager, Santana, uh, or excuse me, yeah, Santana and Ortiz and Sammy Guevara going up against uh, the the team of Andre Arlovsky, Dan Lambert, Ethan Page, Junior Dos Santos, and Scorpio Sky. Uh, And you had the aforementioned inner circle uh, win via pinfall, winning in 20 minutes and one second. All right. Now I just want to make this for a record. Pad, we have not talked about this match. Facts. We have not talked about this off air. Yes. So you have no idea about how this match went. Nope, and I got to admit, didn't even look it up. Okay. So I want your honest reaction when I say this. Okay. Junior Dos Santos. Uh Uh-huh. Standing moonsault. Yo, what the fuck? Yeah. Yo, that's awesome. I got to look that up. He also... Was doing suplexes. Okay, that I can believe. Yeah, but that he that he probably called up Brock and's like, "Yo, give me some pointers." Yeah, if if I'm not mistaken, he did he he did do a um like a British bulldog esque suplex. Pat is looking this up right now too, folks. I just want to put this for air. Junior Dos Santos needs to get signed by AEW. I and Rich and everybody in that room was sold. On the athletic ability of one Junior Dos Santos in the wrestling ring. Because he looked like he had been doing this for years. He looked like the guy that maybe people thought Cain Velasquez was going to be when he was in wrestling. Maybe the transition wrestler coming over or MMA fighter coming over. We all thought was going to take that next level. Dos Santos... Looked that part. Holy fucking shit, I've seen the gif. Uh, so here's the fucking insane thing. Uh, according to uh, Dan Lambert, according to Dan Lambert, uh, Junior Dos Santos only learned how to do the standing moonsault on Saturday. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, so this is according to uh, Mark Ramadi uh, on Twitter, uh, who is a combat sports reporter for ESPN. He, he tweeted out uh, just a couple days ago, uh, that Junior Dos Santos only learned how to do this standing moonsault Saturday, the day of the match, per American top team owner Dan Lambert. Remember, JDS is six foot four and two hundred and forty pounds. Yeah. What the fuck? That's you, insane. You're I know he's watching the GIF right now. This is wild, and this is why I'm saying if AEW doesn't lock him up, Vince McMahon is gonna come running with a Brinks truck. Shout out to Dan Lambert for looking like a fucking mafia crime boss. Dan Lambert is like, listen. I know he catches a lot of heat online for his promos. I think they're fantastic. Oh, they they are. Listen, I don't watch much AEW, but Ken tells me, hey, Dan Lambert cut a promo on AEW. I looked that shit up. Yeah, he does great work. Like, listen, if you want to bring Lambert in and and JDS, uh, he's managing. I'm all for it. Orlovsky not sold on how he does his punches. Sure, they looked very stiff. Like, and I obviously so because 
he does not want to knock anybody out. Sure. So he was trying to hold back. Sure. Well, because instinctually in the training would tell him to knock their fucking ass out. Exactly. So I, I he's understand. Hold, he's holding back. I understand. Like him, not impressed with for wrestling thus far. Let's face it. The only people on the inner circle that probably could have taken a punch from that is probably Santana, Ortiz, or Hager. Uh, either Jericho or Sammy Guevara. They'd have gotten knocked the fuck out. Yeah. Like, that would have been the epitome of the meme from uh, you just got knocked the fuck out. Yeah, it was absolutely wild. The rest of the match was a wild brawl, which is what you wanted. Which you got, you know, a couple former, you know, in Andre Olavsky and then JDS, a couple former MMA fighters. Like, that's what it's going to be. Yeah. So, like, this match. It, was, it's like showing up to a Fast and Furious movie and expecting a plot. If you're going to do that, you're in for a bad time. Exactly. And that's what this one lives up to billing. This was absolutely wild. It was all over the place. Dan Lambert was taking bumps. Like, it was crazy. And with the inner circle winning, of course they are going to win. I would not be mad, though, like I said, if they signed JDS. Sure. And they did something. And in fact, I think I'm, after Saturday, somebody's going to. Like I said, we all were blown away by it. And how? And if you let them slip through your fingers, I don't understand it. I, I really don't. But nevertheless, inner circle goes on to win. Mm-hmm. And then we had an announcement, which I don't know if you have on your sheet. Uh, no, I don't. But we did have the first Ring of Honor talent sign with AEW. Because as this match was ending, Tony Schiavone was interviewing one Jay Lethal, hey. who is now AEW and has now taken the open challenge that was thrown uh, down by Sammy Guevara for the TNT title. So this Wednesday on Dynamite... Jay Lethal is making his in-ring debut for All Elite Wrestling. Oh, interesting. I, I did see, though, that because he signed with AEW, he will not be making the final ROH pay-per-view at the end of the year. Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Isn't he belt holder over there? Um, I, I, I don't think he's holding no. one right now. No, he's not. I'm Because uh, uh, I'm going off ProFightDB.com and current champions uh, for ROH, they've got Bandito. Let's yeah, see. I was, was going to say Bandito, but I couldn't remember. If, uh, all tag team titles just switched hands this past week, so uh, okay. that's my bad. I thought I saw a photo with Lethal holding belt, so I didn't know if it was current. I know. We, just, we were just talking about that, too, on uh, 607 TWS last night. Because I, like, I have not been following Ring of Honor too much lately. Sure. Um, other than the GCW invasion that was happening there this past week. So, sure. Other th- but for what AEW is getting, listen, Jay Lethal has potential to really be a force in AEW. Uh-huh. Um, I'm just wondering who else is coming from ROH. I think we're going to see another uh, possible signee this Wednesday as well. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Jonathan Gresham. Okay. But we'll have to wait and see what happens Wednesday. But nevertheless, it was kind of a big moment. So that was the big debut that everybody was expecting, like a Bray Wyatt or such. Nope. We didn't get that. We got Jay Lethal, which is, like I said, is going to be solid for in-ring action. Then we had the main event. Yeah, uh, this was for the AEW World Championship where you had Kenny Omega taking on Adam Hangman Page. uh, And you had Adam Hangman Page win via pinfall in 25 minutes and 6 seconds to become your and new AEW World Champion. This match might be up there with the best matches in AEW history. It's a short list, but okay. They really... And I'm not saying that as a not AEW guy. I just mean they've only been around two years. It's a short list. Right. They really delivered. For all the hype that went into this storyline, and listen, I know you can kind of argue back and forth about long-term booking and say what you will. Sure. I've talked about this on Blogs Count Anywhere about sure. the storyline. They delivered a love letter for fans of AEW. Okay. Because if you have been an AEW down one or down since day one, you got everything they were doing in this match. 
if you were just getting introduced to AEW, yeah, you were given a great match. Like this is something that I think they should use as a focal point for new fans. Mm. And I will say this, if AEW is smart, put this replay out on TBS or TNT this weekend. So yeah, you got plenty enough plenty of time. Yeah, put it out there and let people watch the show. Like even if you take like select matches and put it out there. Sure. I think that would be a brilliant That's way a smart move. to do this because this match delivered. And I know one thing that we were talking about online too with a lot of our fellow friends on Twitter at OD Parlay Hour, if you want to intervene. You know, was Hangman Page the guy to take AEW forward? Is you know, is he ready? Is he there? They have been building for this moment for a while. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I've been watching since day one. Yeah. Hangman should have got the belt a while ago. He finally got it. There's been different reasons. He he's he's finally now in the title picture. That's all that matters to me. They delivered on little parts of this match if you've been watching since that first episode. And if you haven't, you really felt the emotion of that crowd because they've been waiting to see this. Sure. This lived up to the hype. This was a fantastic back-and-forth match. Went a lot different than I thought it was going to be. But this was what they should have done. I was fearing they were going to give the belt to Kenny Omega and we're going to have Omega Danielson. Right. They can still do that match. It's not going to be the end of the world. Yeah. But the era of Hangman is here and genuinely happy for this. That's good. This is a big win for AEW. That's good. I mean, they listen, we joked about it, but they had to do this. Otherwise, you would alienate the shit out of your fan base. Yeah. They played up to it. This was for the AEW faithful. This was a love letter to the fans. And you know what? They all have to be happy about it. And I don't think I've seen too much toxicity coming from this pay-per-view. Sure. The only thing that's been spewing venom is everybody that's mad about BR Live, which they have every right to be. Oh, yeah. Understandable. You spent $50 on that pay-per-view, and you had four hours of delayed video and audio. Yeah. That's That's what we had. So that's why I say this is our personal experience with this. We made this very public that night on Twitter. And we still are talking about it, too. So it's not a knock against BR, but we're just not happy customers with what we had. But it didn't take away from the raw emotion that was with this pay-per-view. If you haven't seen this, definitely check it out on Fight TV. They're showing the replay in the U.S. now. Okay. And I'm telling you right now, this should get tweeted out if if somebody's hearing this podcast later. Tweet to Tony Khan. If you want to get a fan base to watch your product, put this out on TBS this weekend or soon. Mm. TNT, put it out there. There's got to be a window of time you can put this out. Drop it and see what it does for the fan base and see if you get a rating spike from that because you guys like ratings. But that's not the only wrestling going on, though. We'll definitely talk about what's going on this Sunday on twitch.tv slash 6 7 podcast. And it's also going on the Peacock Network. And, Pat, yeah. what is that? Survivor Series. So, yeah, this is taking place this Sunday, 8 o'clock Eastern, on the Peacock Network, taking place from Brooklyn, New York, at the Barclays Center. Uh, and this is the annual tradition, uh, the Thanksgiving tradition with the WWE in the Survivor Series, where you've got, in the years past, it was one five-on-five series match uh, between two sets of teams. This, uh, of course, call last couple of years, it's been two five-on-five matches, one men's, one women's. This card should be real damn good. Let's hope so, because with Survivor Series, it's always Raw versus SmackDown. Yeah. But they've been real quiet on the build, to be honest with you. 
So yeah. we'll kind of have to wait and see what it pans out. So let's talk about it. Yeah, so the first match we're going to talk about uh, is a matchup that was only announced last night on Monday Night Raw. Uh, and this is uh, between Damian Priest, who is the United States champion, taking on Shinsuke Nakamura, who is the Intercontinental champion. So this one it should be match of the night. This one should be fire. Yeah, this one's going to be absolutely crazy. Oh, I, my God. I like Damian Priest a lot in this one. Uh-huh. So I think he's taking the win, but I would not doubt it going the other way. But this is going to be hard-hitting as hell. Yeah, I'm going to say Damian Priest as well. Uh, next matchup is was also announced last night on Monday Night Raw. Uh, this is it between the two tag team champions. Uh, champions, uh, you've got the team of RK Bro, that being Randy Orton and Riddle, uh, who are the Raw tag team champions, taking on the team of Jimmy and Jay Uso, uh, who are the SmackDown tag team champions. I don't care one bit about RK Bro, so Team Uso all day. I think it's going to be Team Uso just because I think the bloodline is going to come out looking real strong after this. I hope so. Next up. Uh, next up is between the two main champions where you've got Big E, the WWE champion, taking on the team of or taking on Roman Reigns, who is the universal champion. Uh, listen, uh, Big E's got a little bit of an axe to grind. He's got a little bit of a beef with Ro- Roman right now, given what Roman did to his buddies and uh, Xavier and Kofi on SmackDown this past week. It ain't going to matter. Roman's going it, to. It'll be close. They'll definitely keep Big E looking strong. They're not going to squash him in five minutes. But Roman ain't losing to Big E. I got to bring up a point that was brought up on 607TWS. Sure. Rich brought this to the table, and I'm like, I'm sold on it now. Sure. The belt's not on the line for either gentleman. This is true. Roman has been pinned in two years. This is true. He's got to get pinned sometime. This is true. Big E. Okay. And then we can foreshadow something later down the road if we need to. I would not be mad about it. I just don't think they're going to do it now. Well, you know what? If if they don't do it now, it's there. It all roads are pointing to Drew McIntyre. Yeah, for SmackDown. So I think they should do it now and then kind of see what the temp is. But if they don't, I would understand too because it's Roman and sure. I, th- I think this is gonna be a great match though because I mean you gotta face it. Remember when Drew faced Roman a couple of years ago uh, at Survivor Series? Sure. And they tore the house down. I yeah. think you're gonna see same kind of intensity yeah. with this one. Yeah. Uh, next up is uh, between the two we, uh, women's champions. Boy, this is going to be something. You've got Becky Lynch, who is the current Raw women's champion, taking on Charlotte Flair, who is the current SmackDown women's champion. Uh, there's going to be some legit punches in this match, I think. This is kind of starting to blur the line between uh-huh. uh, work and shoot. Uh-huh. So I'm going to go with Becky on yeah. this one because I think this could go a lot of different directions. Charlotte, uh, depending on what site you're reading from and what you're believing, uh, the ego is growing a la Cody Rhodes. Charlotte might have bit off more than she can chew in this match. Yeah, so we'll kind of wait and see. That's just my opinion on it, but I like Becky in this one all day. So we'll have to wait to see how this all shakes out. Yeah, no, I'm thinking the same thing. Uh, Becky all day. Uh, next up is the first of the two uh, five-on-five Survivor Series elimination matches. Uh, so this is the female one. You've got Team Raw, which comprises of Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, Liv Morgan, Carmella, and Queen Zelina, taking on the team of uh, Team SmackDown, which is Sasha Banks, Shayna Baszler, Shotzi, Natalia, and initially it was Aaliyah. However, on uh, back on November 12th, uh, Sonya Deville removed Aaliyah from the match, uh, I guess because of her relationship with uh, Sonya's enemy, Naomi. Mm. Shenanigans. So now there is a TBA spot uh, yet to be announced, uh, final spot for Team SmackDown. I'm going to go out on a limb and give my leap. Sure. Alexa Bliss. Oh, that would be good. Not crazy Alexa. I think she's going to be back to normal Alexa Bliss. Okay. I think the, the Fiend gimmick is done. 
Um, okay. And I think that we will see her back to uh, whatever in- incarnation of Alexa Bliss she's going to be this time. Okay. I'm going to say Bailey. Ooh. Don't know if she's ready or not yet, but just to, mm. just to bounce off of you and not say the same name, just a different name, I'm going to say Bailey. You know what? I know she, well, if I'm not mistaken, she was due back right before WrestleMania. Right. But you never know. Like, I mean, I, yeah, I, no, I, I haven't heard anything. Cena was supposed to be due back from his pec injury or whatever it was in a year, and he came back in like nine months. Oh, I'll mark if it's Bailey. Because well, let's face it, Raw doesn't really need her. They got enough women going on in that brand right now. Not saying SmackDown needs all the women help it can get, but like just if you're looking at things and how they're spread out, I think she'd do more work on uh, SmackDown, especially with Sasha and then Charlotte there as well. Yeah, I mean, it could happen. I think Rich called on 607TWS Raquel Gonzalez. Oh, that could be. So, I mean, it could definitely be. I like SmackDown team all day. Yeah. I think they take this one out right. Uh, so then you've got the men's five-on-five five, uh, series matchup between Raw and SmackDown. And follow me on this one because there's been some development since they first announced the teams. So the team initially for Raw was Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Dominic, and Rey Mysterio. Okay. Uh, on the uh, and I'm reading off of the Wikipedia page because Lord knows I would never be able to remember all this. Uh, so on the November 8th episode of Raw, Adam Pierce uh, noted that every team member of uh, Raw was a former champion, except for Dominic. In turn, Pierce had uh, Dominic face Bobby Lashley. Winner would be on Team Raw. Bobby Lashley won, so now you've got Bobby Lashley on the team. Uh, and then on the, where is it here? Uh, then this, uh, just yesterday, on Monday as we record, uh, Adam Pierce removed Ray from the match and replaced him with Austin Theory. So now your Raw team is Seth Rollins, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Bobby Lashley, and Austin Theory. Okay. Uh, and then on Team SmackDown, you've got uh, Drew McIntyre, Jeff Hardy, King Woods, Happy Corbin, obviously uh, Mad Cat Moss will be there, uh, and then a TBA spot uh, because uh, initially uh, the spot uh, last spot was given to Sami Zayn. However, uh, back on uh, the November 12th episode of SmackDown, Jeff Hardy defeated Zayn in a match with the loser being removed from the team SmackDown in Survivor Series. So Sami Zayn was removed from the team. So we've still got one more spot to fill on Team SmackDown. I'm just trying to think who they could call up. Sheamus? Sheamus is on SmackDown, I think. Yeah. You know, I'm looking for like a big debut. Mm. Like that's the only thing I'm thinking. I'm going to take Team Raw regardless. Yeah. Because I, I think they're going to split. I think Team SmackDown wins the women's, but I think uh, Raw is all going to be the men's. Okay. I just I don't know who could fill in that void for SmackDown. I just I, I hope maybe it's... one of the Usos pulling double duty if, <sighs> if they go on early enough. I mean, maybe unless it's Brock. You know, they write the suspension to work his way off or something. You know, because Yo. technically he's not on a team. It would be you'd, be you'd get Lashley versus Brock in the ring. I'm telling you. I mean, that's the one cool thing about Survivor Series is. It kind of suspends the storylines. Yeah. So you can do a lot of things you wouldn't be able to do if you're on one show or the other. Yeah. Uh, so that's the only thing I could think of. I mean, unless unless they sign somebody from ROH to come in there, which that, maybe, maybe. that could be a curveball. It'd have to be a big name that like fans recognize, though, and I don't know if anybody would. Like, Jay Lethal would have fallen under that category, I think, but he's already AEW. Yeah, I mean, I don't... It, it's so up in the air about who they could pull it, in for that. It's not Braun, I can tell you that much. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not expecting Braun. I'm not expecting Bray. I don't know who they could bring in per se, um, unless they really want to go crazy and bring in like Braun Breaker from NXT. Yeah, maybe. Which I'm I'm not, if you're not following him on NXT, you're not seeing the future of the company. They're going to put that belt on that kid 
quicker than you can say WrestleMania. L.A. Knight, maybe? <sighs> if it's L.A. Knight, I'll mark out. I would, too. Uh, L.A. Knight's so good. I don't know, man. There's going to be a lot of crazy things I th- that happen. I, th- I think the spot might end up being to somebody from NXT, and this is going to be their call-up. I'd be okay with that. Just because I can't think of anyone that's, like, not on a brand right now that, like, could be a surprise entrant. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're here. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to think. I know Kyle O'Reilly and, and uh, Johnny Gargano have been doing dark dark matches. Yeah. So, I but I like, I can't see one of them getting called up. I oh, really... Gargano against Theory, though, would be good. Oh, I'd... I'd, I'd, I'd be a, I, the NXT crowd would mark out, and I'm a one of them. That would be amazing. Like, if they want to do it for one night, I just... I can't see Johnny making the full call-up, though. No. I think that he's... Well, he's, especially since his wife's about to give birth soon. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I can't see him doing that, but... I'm just trying to think who else they could call up, but that's the beauty of, of the surprise entrance. It's like we don't know who we're going to get. Yeah, it's Survivor Series, and it's going to be in New York, so this it, is true. it could be Cena for all we know. Like, uh, like there's ways they can do yeah. stuff if they really want to do it. Yeah, that's true. But we'll just have to find out when we're talking about this on Sunday night, 8 p.m. on the Peacock Network, or better yet, drop that follow for twitch.tv slash 607podcast. I'm going to be in the chat with Rich. We're going to be doing our live reactions and commentary. You never know who's going to swing down. If Pad's not in the or not there, he's going to be in the chat talking as well. It's going to be a fun night, so you definitely want to make sure you're checking that out. And for more wrestling content, definitely make sure you're dropping a follow to 607TWS, now on its own podcast channel. So if you want to get more in-depth wrestling conversation, that's the place to go hit up. Drop that follow, subscribe, and definitely keep that conversation rolling with us on hashtag 607TWS or hashtag ODPHPod. That being said, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna go Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And we gotta talk a little local minute. Yeah, we do. We gotta talk some Binghamton Black Bears hockey. Looking at the standings, uh, they are currently tied for second place uh, behind Danbury. Uh, they're tied with Watertown. They have a record of four and two. Danbury is ahead of both uh, Watertown and Binghamton with a record of three and one. They've got one overtime win. Uh, looking at their schedule, they got this. Uh, they had this past week. Uh, they won uh, their game on Friday, uh, which was down in Delaware playing the Thunder. They won by a final score of seven to six. Uh, they then uh, on Saturday played against the Watertown Wolves, where they lost by the final score of seven to four. Looking ahead to this coming weekend, uh, they are uh, playing at home against the Port Huron Prowlers. Game time seven o'clock, uh, and then they are still at home on Saturday, November twentieth. Game time seven o'clock, playing those same Port Huron Prowlers. Uh, more information, details, and inf- uh, tickets uh, BinghamtonBlackBears.com. And now we've got like a little Binghamton Bulldogs action. Now the number two ranked in the nation of the ABA. So they're 4-0. So now they're moved up to number two, right behind the Chicago Fury, who are also 4-0. And this is due to back-to-back wins. This past weekend, Saturday night, they were hosting the New Jersey Knights and were winners 132-118. to hey. And then they were taking on the Delaware Snipers the next night and winners 124-87. to So now the Bulldogs are back in action this Friday night 
against the Westchester Wildcats. 7.30 start time at the Binghamton Bulldogs Sport Complex. More information on anything that is Binghamton Bulldogs, check them out on Facebook and BinghamtonBulldogs.com. So let's round the bases and take the show home, Pad. Got a couple things to talk about, uh, first of which are they're all baseball-related. We've got some uh, deals and signings already going on. The hot stove is lit, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so we got some deals going on. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, who was formerly with the Boston Red Sox, has signed a five-year deal for $77 million with the Detroit Tigers. Uh, Rodriguez is 28 years old, went 13-8 and with a 4.74 ERA last season with the Red Sox. Uh, he risked all of 2021 because of coronavirus-related uh, uh, myocarditis. Uh, so he said, quote, I'm excited to be a Tiger and appreciate the commitment being made to building a winning team in Detroit. After some great years in Boston with amazing fans and teammates, I am blessed to be coming into a new situation where the fans in Detroit are some of the best in baseball. Uh, so definitely a good move for Detroit. I think it might work out well for them. Obviously, he's not an ace, but he's a good kind of middle of the, bull, middle of the rotation, back of the rotation kind of guy. Really get you some innings and decency. This next one, I really question. Boys, is going to come back to bite you in the ass. Uh, so it was announced this morning that Toronto, the Toronto Blue Jays have agreed to a seven-year, $131 million extension for their right-handed pitcher, Jose Barrios. Uh, this deal is pending a physical. He is 27 years old, and they acquired him at the trade deadline from the Minnesota Twins. After they got him, he went 5-4 and four with a 3.58 ERA and 12 starts. So, eh. Yeah. Not bad. Uh, however, so his total uh, stats in uh, 2021, he went 12-9 and nine overall. And set a career best with a 3.52 ERA, 204 strikeouts. Not bad, but in six years he's gone 60 and 47, and he has a 4.04 ERA. Like I get he's a two-time All Star, but still, that's to me not worth 131 million dollars. Baseball economics are the weirdest thing to me. I uh-huh. cannot figure them out to save my life. Yep. Like just how they come into that kind of contracts. Uh huh. And sticking with. Uh, deals and contracts that don't make sense. Uh, Noah Syndergaard, a.k.a. Thor, has left the New York Mets. Uh, he is going out west. He's taking the talents out west to join the Los Angeles Angels on a one-year $20 million deal. Uh, this was pending a physical. Uh, Syndergaard is 29. He spent the first seven years of his career with the New York Mets. Uh, he's got a nasty set of pitches, and he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. He just couldn't get run support to save his life. Mm-hmm. The only reason I question $21 million, one year I get, you know, $21 million, I still question. Uh, in uh, in two years, he's pitched two innings. Yeah. He had, uh, and that's since 2019. That's because he had Tommy John surgery. So since 2019, he's pitched two innings. I, that, to me, is not worth $21 million. I'm sorry. Like, he's a great pitcher. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah, no. No, you, that deal is just absurd. I'm yeah. sorry. Like, I'm happy he's got paid, but... This proves, once again, baseball economics are just one of the weirdest yep. areas to discuss. Yep. Uh, yep, and some rumors with baseball. Uh, Carlos Correa with the uh, formerly or maybe super formerly be of the Houston Astros reportedly might go is looking at Detroit, so he might end up in the Tigers. And rumors are there's a certain pitcher by the name of Justin Verlander who might be looking at the Yankees. He'd be solid with the Yankees. He's good. He's a little up there in age, but the man is still pitching like 97-plus miles an hour in his advanced age for for a pitcher, which is real damn good. We just need a solid number two. Hell, we need a solid two, three, four, and five. Well, okay, but baby steps. He would be an adequate two. Yeah, he would be. Not saying he's going to be the next guy, you know, obviously a renaissance for him. No. 
But he'd be good for the New York team. He he can handle the New York media. Oh, he'd have fun with the media. Oh yeah, he'd be in a field day. So oh, he would be. I, I think it'd be a good addition if he does end up signing there. I haven't read anything saying he has or not. I just heard it, it's possible he will. I think he'd be good. You know, it's a good guy to put in behind Garrett Cole. It's a little more stability behind Cole because let's face it, a lot of last year was Garrett Cole and uh, right who's next up. Uh, yeah, yikes. Yeah, exactly. So any help the Yanks can get in their pitching is greatly yeah. appreciated. Uh, and then sw- uh, then got some baseball slash hockey news because apparently the Fenway Sports Group is in talks to purchase the Pittsburgh Penguins. What? Yeah. So this is according to ESPN, uh, which was uh, article reads, quote, Ron Burkle and Mario Lemieux have been the Penguins majority owner since 1999. The uh, Wall Street Journal and Sportico were the first to report on the potential sale. The agreement needs to be approved by the Fenway Sports Group Board and then would be subject to NHL approval. The NHL's Board of Governors must approve any potential sale. Billionaire John Henry is is the principal owner of Fenway Sports Group, whose portfolio includes the Boston Red Sox of Major League Baseball, Liverpool of the English Premier League, and Roush Fenway Racing of NASCAR. Fenway Sports Group also owns real estate, including Fenway Park, NBA star LeBron James also has a stake in the company. So, hey, we already hate the Pittsburgh Penguins. We might hate them even more now. Throw more gas on that fire. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, for baseball, manager of the year announcements were made uh, just as we were, hey, as we recorded. Uh, Gabe Kapler of the San Francisco Giants won it for the National League. Makes all the sense in the world. They finished the Major League Best 107 wins. Mm-hmm. So congratulations to them, or to Gabe Kapler. And then over in the American League, uh, Kevin Cash, uh, won it in, for the uh, managing the American uh, for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, won him, led him to 100 victories, top seed in the American League. He also joins Bobby Cox as the only repeating manager of the year uh, in Major League history. Wow, that's an amazing set to be. Even. Yeah, hey, congrats! So congratulations to him. Even though I kind of hate the Rays. Yeah, facts. But I don't hate him as much as Boston. This so is I, true. I can tolerate him. So my base, uh, just very quickly, there was a UFC fight card this week. And that was one Maxi Baby, Max Holloway taking on Yair Rodriguez in an absolute wild one, but a unanimous decision in Holloway's favor, 46 to 40, or 49, 46, 48, 47, 48, 47. So where do we go from here for the featherweight legend? I guess you could say even, you know, at such a young age too. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird because I don't know where we go with him at the 145-pound division. He's already lost to Alexander Volkanovsky a couple times. Yep. There is some buzz generated. Okay. Uh, though, because Conor McGregor Ooh. was tweeting out or social media posted a video of him watching the fight and was saying, like, see you soon or something in that variation. He, he was doing the stalking thing he does in the octagon. I saw the video, the stalking thing he does before, right before the fight when Buffer's doing his intros. Yes. Which was weird, but hey. So this would be a rematch because they last fought, I want to say, early, early in Max's career. Um, I can look it up. All right. You take a quick look at it. I uh, listen. I'm all for it. I think at this stage in the game, I think it makes a lot of sense because with Max, it's weird because he's not even 30, and he's already accomplished everything he can in the featherweight division. It would make a lot of sense for him to take this fight. So, uh, according to the uh, uh, Conor McGregor's record, he the only time he's fought Max Holloway was back on August 17th of 2013. On a UFC Fight Night card, uh, headlined by of all people, Shogun and Chael Sonnen, mm, uh, was a uni- I do remember this. unanimous decision win for one Conor McGregor. 
Yeah, this one, like I said, Max Max was like just starting in the UFC. Like he like I say, he's twenty nine now. You want to talk about tread on the tires? Yeah. I mean, take a look at Max's fight card, twenty three and six in the UFC. Yep. And they're not exactly easy one round stoppages. Let sure. me just say that. Max likes to scrap. This fight, though, like I say, it makes a ton of sense to me because you can't exactly put him back in there with Volkanovski. No. You can't have him go up to 155. He already did that against Poirier, and I'm sorry. He looked like a small 155. Sure. And I hated seeing him up there because like, he just – doing the aesthetic test, he just did not look right up there. Sure. Now – do you try having him go to 135? I don't know how healthy that would be because I'm not sure what his normal walk weight is. But I will say this. If they did a catch weight with Connor, okay. or even if they let him fight at 155 against yeah. Connor, because Connor, for all intents and purposes, is out of title contention. We, yeah. I think we can eliminate that talk. Yes. He's not around consistently enough to be in title contention. Right. I think if you make this fight, it would make a lot of sense. For Connor, it's a name. For Max, it's a name. They do draw crowds. This would be box office. And there really isn't any risk or reward here. Right. Because, like I say, Max is in this, this weird state of flux. Like, I don't know where you go with him from here. Because he can't fight Volkanovski. He just can't. And not, this, not right now. He needs to put together some wins. It almost has to be a situation. God, I hate using this comparison. Like an Aljamain Sterling. Mm. Where you win so many in a row, you have to get a title shot. It's kind of that vibe until Volkanovski loses next. Right. So this fight would make a ton of sense to me. Otherwise, ooh, I don't know where you go with him. Right. Like, I can't I can't stress that enough. I'm sitting here trying to look at that rankings and look to see, okay, who could Max fight next? That list is very, very small. I'd say so, yeah. But if you want to do this with Connor, let it happen. And you know what? I don't think anybody would be too upset about it if they did. No. Do a catch weight, have yeah. Max go up to 155. There's no way Connor's going back to 145. That's out of the question. No, 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 no. But listen, if you want to make this happen in 2022, I'm here for it. Yeah. I will I will fully endorse that fight because Max is going to whoop the crap out of him. Sorry, Coach. This is just facts. He is going to outbox Connor badly. And I will be here for it because Max doesn't knock anybody out. He just, he'll just you know pepper him for five rounds. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with this. Yes. At this stage in the game, I'm all right. So that being said, Pad, there's only one way we can close out the sports edition of the show, and that is talking locks and leaps. Uh-huh. Now, to give a quick update on the standings, JT from the East Coast Avengers is in the lead with 42 points, but making a surge, hailing out of Patriots country, a near and dear friend to the show, Joey DiCarlo from the Soul Wizard Podcast, 37 points. Right behind him is the one only Padawan J. Hey yo. Rich from 3FN is right behind with 34 points. Yours truly has now made a little bit of a comeback. Is at 32. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. And I'm tied with Mash from Hopskeek News, 32. Okay. We're ahead of your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. Uh-huh. Who has 31 points. And due to this, because he pulled the big zero this past week. 0-4. 
Pat, I'll let you take it away. Explain to our audience. Uh, so, yeah, we've got a little uh, group direct message thing going on fa- on Twitter where, you know, we can post who we're picking and we can just have fun, talk about the games. It's a lot of fun to have just because we talk about the games going on and what's going on. And it's great for me because I'm usually busy working on Sunday, so I live vicariously through that group. Uh, but Coach went into the group uh, after the line got the lines got posted or the article for the lines and go, said, quote, Finn is making my picks because I went 0-4 and I hate life. Uh, Finn, of course, for those who don't know, is his one of his kids, mm-hmm. uh, who Finn shows Tennessee, Baltimore as his locks, and then his leaps are the Saints and the Raiders. Uh, yes. Uh, so then Hops Geeks uh, commented, uh, I got to think on this one. I'm on a cold streak. Uh, Coach went, that's why I'm going outside the box and letting my son pick. He can be found on Twitter at CoachDuffy11. We'll have to definitely keep track of this. If, if Finn gets on a heater, though. Might have to call shenanigans. Oh, we'll have to call something. We'll, we'll have to be doing some investigating about this. But right but well, tied up with Coach is Mac East from We Get Dub Podcast. JV, or no, I'm sorry, Evan the Great and Jay West from We Get Dub. They're tied at 30. JVD is right behind them at 27. And Brian Wayne is tied at 27 right now. So... That being said, Pat, who you got for your locks and leaps this coming week? So for my lock, I'm going to take the New England Patriots uh, on this coming Thursday uh, against the Atlanta Falcons. New England's currently favored by seven points. Listen, Atlanta's bad. They're real bad. I think yeah. New England's going to be able to do that. Uh, and then for my leap, I looked at this and went, oh, my God, holy shit. Yeah, give this one to me. Uh, I'm going to take the Dallas Cowboys against the Kansas City Chiefs, who Dallas is currently uh, underdogs by two and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is egregious. Uh, I think Dallas will be able to pull off that win. Great minds think alike, because that's my leap, too. Hey. I saw that line. I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh-huh. Are you kidding me? I don't care if, if Kansas City fans say, we're back. You're going up against Dallas. It's a, we'll see. Patrick Mahomes meet Trayvon Diggs. <laughs> oh, my God. Listen. About to lock up that man's Defensive Player of the Year uh, award. Tyreek Hill is going to get slowed down very, very badly by the premier cornerback in the NFL. It's going to get ugly. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe this was a line. I was like, are you kidding me? This is This is a gift. Um, and for my lock, Tom Brady is going to absolutely annihilate yeah. the Giants on Monday night. Yeah. Tom Brady coming off a loss now is playing at home on Monday yeah. night. And he hadn't forgot about his uh, history with uh, uh, the New York football Giants. Exactly. Those episodes on that Tom Brady ESPN Plus man in the arena or whatever the hell it's called. He hadn't forgot that. No, it's going to get brutal. It's going to get ugly. Uh, I will say watch that game with uh, viewing discretion advice because I could see Brady hanging 50 on him. Oh, easily. I'm <laughs> This is not very, ex- very easy. This is not an exaggeration. This is going to get damn near crazy on that game. So it's going to get ugly. Yes, and I'm here for it. I am here for that. Fantasy points. Give it to me. Give it to me now. But that all being said, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH is that of Brian Wolf. He's a great guy. We know him. We're friends of the show. Yeah. Uh, he's he's a big Packers fan if you want to hit him up on social media. But, Pat, where do I go if I want to hit him up? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the music section. Check out everything going on with Brian. Everything going on with Second Suitor. Everything going on with Tom Jolu, Floodlands, Yard Party, Shout at the Robots, all the great musicians who give us their music to play on the show each and every week. Also, while you're at the website, check out the directory where you can find the ODPH on your favorite podcast platform. Pat, how many do we have now? Uh, 300,000. Yes, we love you 3,000. That's why we make sure we get you that many. And it's growing every day. So there's no reason you can't follow the ODPH on your favorite platform. We make it that easy for you. Also, make sure to check out the classified section where you can find friends of the show, such as Dragon Master Games, Excite Wrestling, and 
we have organizational link support in Black Lives Matter, and we have all the links to the pod groups we are in. So definitely shout out to the Inner Circle. Shout out to the Apocalypse, who is doing big things on Twitter, especially Thursday night with the Spotlight. Now that is where we do a little showcasing. Follow Fridays. I have to give credit to Joey from So Wizard about this too, because he mentioned this in our chat group about how he's, you know, if you're a smaller pod or a smaller account, how tough it is to get followers. Do you agree about this, Pen? Yeah. So what we do is every Thursday, we throw the spotlight on nominations for smaller accounts so they can network and grow and really make it part of the podcasting community. It's something the Apocalypse does. We've gotten a lot of, I don't want to say mainstream attention, but yeah. we've gotten a lot of accounts that really do podcast promoting, like the legit stuff. Sure. And they're like, please tag us when you do this. We love this idea. It's just something the Apocalypse does. If you want to find out more about that, you swing on over to Podchaser. You drop a like on that page for the Apocalypse. You can find your favorite new podcast today, and you can thank me later for it. But also on that page, you also got to give a shout-out to our guys over at 8122 Productions. Rich Ron, Mike C, and hashtag Big Natty Cool, the one only Diesel, who pad this week. It's movie night. Oh, boy. And this Saturday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Twitch.tv slash 607podcast, Rich, Diesel, and I are going to be talking about the documentary superheroes. Hmm. So get your popcorn ready. Diesel with a live open mic. Uh, yeah, no filter, no editing. Nope, it's one shot. Listener discretion is advised. Absolutely. All of that information is right there and so much more at odphpodcast.com. Check it out. That's all we got for this week. So for the one only Padawan J. Fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH Podcast. Better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time. Sometimes I lay awake at night Wondering what life would be like If you weren't taken before your time The lessons you taught me Try to remember, try to engage Sometimes it feels just like